Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation Point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public. On appointment-only basis, she offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Needs, a Cancer Diagnosis, Adaptogens for Long Life, and Abundantly Well Companion Course wisewomanschool.com You can also just go to her website susanweed.com where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you and welcome Susan. Thank you Justine and welcome Catherine. Hello, Susan. How are you tonight? Oh, I am enjoying this day very much. 
Justine and I have been talking about what else we might offer people, and we realize that since most people are at home, we're hoping that they're going to be doing more cooking. So we're going to... Yes, so we're going to um, be offering you some meal plans and some recipes for those who are mentored students. This week I did a seven-part series on making nettle soup from the ground to your bowl. Oh, I can't wait. So, um, you know, the Wise Woman team will be posting those, and anybody who's part uh, of the mentored site can get in to see those. And then the next time that Yazine comes out, which I think is next week, um, there's gonna be, uh, there will be some photographs and some recipes for meals that help to build immunity and ward off infections. Wonderful. Like, for instance, one of the things that's coming to light is that the compound quercetin, Q-U-E-R-C-I-T-I-N, quercetin, um, seems to specifically target COVID-19. So I don't want you running to the store to buy quercetin. Of course you can. Um, Quercus is oak. And compounds are named for the first plant they're found in. So quercetin comes from quercus, comes from oak. Uh, oak bark is very high in quercetin. Um, on the other hand, drinking oak bark tea is kind of yucky. Onion peel is the next highest in quercetin. So what I did was I took my onion peel and I boiled them until the water turned orange. And then I took that quercetin broth, that quercetin-rich broth, because it will boil if you boil the onion peel long enough. The quercetin, which is not heat sensitive at all, comes into the water, and then I use that water to cook rice. So there's quercetin infused. This is astounding. It's astounding. I love what you do. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to learn this. We're also we're also um, finding that uh, curcumin, the compound in turmeric, can also target COVID nineteen. And again, you can run right out to the store and buy curcumin if there's any left on the shelves. Um, or you could probably go to the spice aisle and get some turmeric or to your health food store. Uh, but hopefully what you did was that um, this summer you got some fresh turmeric. Um, of course, if you're in the tropics, it's very easy to come by. And you chopped it up and poured honey over it so as if you have turmeric honey. And I cut up a winter squash. Um, sliced up some onion, threw in some unpeeled garlic, and then spooned turmeric honey over it and baked it. it. Sounds delicious. Tasty, easy, except for the turmeric honey. I'm sure you have all the ingredients already at home. And, you know, I just feel so pleased at how many people have taken it to heart that herbal medicine is people's medicine. And instead of saying, I can always go to the store and buy remedies, they have, they have made their own remedies. So many of the mentored students and the correspondence course students and the past apprentices and people who come to workshops and people who follow this blog talk show, so many of those people are getting in touch with me and saying, I am so thrilled that I have all the remedies I need already made. I don't have to go to the store and buy anything. 
Exactly. Exactly, so right? It's such a place of power. Justine asked me if I could Justine asked me if I could please do a meditation on fear. She said so many people are in fear. Well, I was busy in the dairy today. I made goat butter and I made um, fermented cheese called tara cheese and I made double garlic, take fat flu cheese. And and that, that of course, is not just making it. That also includes washing up everything. It was like over an hour of washing up. No, I don't have a dishwasher. And um, then just, you know, the ordinary things, taking care of the goats who make all this wonderful dairy and um making these foods so that I could photograph them and share them with you. And um, so I will, tomorrow or the next day, uh, do that. But, of course, it made me think about fear. And you probably know that one of my most beloved mentors is Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. But what many people do not know is that that woman was tough. And she was especially tough around feelings. We could not use the words, I feel, unless we were talking about a feeling. So we couldn't say, I feel like you're a jerk. Ever have anybody say that? You know, and you think, whoa, you know, what's being said here? Right. So we had to say, I feel love or I feel anger or And she only gave us five. We were only allowed five emotions. Everything else was a cover-up for one of the five. So when I do do the meditation on fear, I will tell you what fear is a cover-up for. Enlighten us, Susan. (laughs) I know you'll just have to wait a few days until I get a time to do it so that you can sit quietly and really listen to it. Because it was hard. For, I remember how hard it was for me. I really felt like Elizabeth was like taking things away from me. Like, how dare you tell me that I'm not afraid? But as I really deepened and grew and heard the stories again and what she was saying, I really began to understand what she meant. And I thank her very much for everything that she did, especially to put death and dying on the map. So as you may know, I keep myself intentionally um, naive in terms of news. I do not have a television. I don't have a radio. I don't look at the news on Internet. What I know is what people tell me, how their lives are being impacted. So I know when people's flights are canceled, that airports are closed because they tell me that. And I know when people can't go to work because they tell me that. And those are the things that are important to me. But every now and then, I do get a curiosity itch. And I have had a pretty bad curiosity itch for the past 24 hours, so I decided to scratch that itch this morning. And I asked for the figures on how many deaths worldwide we have right now from COVID-19 as of this morning. Now, to put this into perspective, ordinary year in the United States, between 30 and 70,000 people die of the ordinary flu. That's just in the United States. 
worldwide so far, there have been 37,000 deaths from COVID-19. So I'm wondering where this fear is coming from, because I don't see people panicking that up to 70,000 people die every year from the flu. Susan, and I did some research to contradict it, and I couldn't find any contradiction. I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So personally, what I think is it's time to stop being sheep and striping goats, but that's just my own take on it. You know, I do keep goats, so I like goats. <laughs> I like how difficult they are. <laughs> I can be kind of goaty myself. Oh, my goodness. Well, I do not think that Probably our guest... why we love you so much. Thank you. I do not think that our guest tonight <laughs> is a sheep, although she may not no. be a goat. <laughs> Her name is Chris Francor, and I know that Cor is French for heart. I don't know what Fran means, so perhaps it, perhaps her name means Chris from the heart. She does both counseling, psychology, and educational leadership, and she has published romance novels. I can hardly believe it. My beloved Marie Summerwood <clears throat> decided to stop being a, a chef and a cook and stop cooking at the Wise Woman Center with me. Boo-hoo, boo-hoo. Um, because she decided that she wanted to do the screenplay for a TV show that would focus on women's relationship to romance novels. So I am curious is all get out to talk to Fran to Chris Frank Hauer tonight at nine or about uh hour and fifteen minutes from whatever time it is where you are and to find out how she came to find herself writing romance novels and how she survived the grief of losing her middle son to an overdose. So stay with us or come back at that time and listen to Chris. I also want to share, oh, I'm so talkative tonight, that since COVID-19 seems to be the only thing that people are really willing to talk about, um, we're setting up a teleseminar series. You know that... um, Thursday, Paul Bergner and I did a teleseminar on um, lessons from the pandemic of 1918, the flu pandemic of 1918. It was wonderful. I got a lot out of it. Thank you, Catherine. I did, too. It's always amazing talking to Paul. And so that's what I have done. I have invited the people that I treasure the most to come and talk to me. about what's going on with COVID-19 in their area of expertise. And the next one that we're going to do is with Astrid Grove, who is a midwife, and she'll be talking about COVID-19 pregnancy and birth. That's wonderful. I was just thinking with Astrid. Fantastic. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that on April 9th. So I know chatty Susan today. Um, hardly have given you a space to say anything. What would you like to share with us, Catherine? Well, I'd like to share that, as usual, you're on it, Susan. (laughs) April 9th for Astrid Grove. Wonderful. Yes. 
we've connected, and I love the projects that you and Justine are putting together for us. I'm getting a tremendous amount out of all of your work, um, constantly new things coming from Susan. I had a great time last night looking through some of your archives, and I'm just oh, in what awe fun. of the amount of work. Oh, I love you. The amount of work you've put into your life and sharing this wisdom with us, so thank you. And I had spoken with Rebecca today about organizing and making sure that this show is going off well. And I don't see that she's called in. I don't see her number, but she did indicate wanting to just say hi to you and to our uh, listeners. So if Rebecca's here, I will look for her number. I, I do not see it. So if you, Susan, would like to take calls, we could open up for that or whatever. Let's go ahead and do that. Else is on the agenda. Yes. All right. Well, we have a few callers that called in very early. People All right. think they want to ask Susan. So if you're waiting, press one, and I'm going to connect you, Susan. The first one is a 352 area code. Hi, Susan. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm really enjoying the day. How about you? It finally stopped raining. <laughs> Well, we're finishing our rain up here in Tennessee. So, Susan, I have a bunch of questions, but I'm one was about smudging the air. I love that. I listened to the Paul Bergman thing, which was great. Um, I took care of one of my children, and I have a bunch, but about four weeks ago, before this thing hit our area, or was told it hit, hit one of my daughters got incredibly sick with a flu. So she called me over and said, Mom, you got to come over and take care of me. I'm, I got the flu. So I came over and, and, and then that night she had this, and I have 10 children. I've been taking care of them um, this way because I've been a follower of yours for a long time. And so anyways, she had this bizarre cough that night and it was, it was super dry. And I came out and I was like, what is with your cough? She spiked 105 fever. It lasted about, 10 hours maybe at that level, really uncomfortable. She couldn't even flip over in her bed. She was so tired, just as if uh, I think Paul described it that way. Yes, I was really so, remembering Paul saying he was so exhausted. That he couldn't flip over. Couldn't turn over in bed, right. And my daughter described that. So, But I got over there really early at her onset. And so I, you know, just gave her a bunch of herbs and bone set, which I've harvested and have used for many years, was my primary plant, which was really encouraged to hear that because Cynthia Cayley has been always pushing that herb for years. So it seemed to work. And then about day four, and our tornadoes had ripped through here. So I had three kids that were affected by that tornado. So we were all bedding down in this bed and breakfast at this Airbnb. And so the daughter that I had was feeling incredibly dehydrated. So my question is revolving around this particular modality treatment I gave her, which I've used for a couple of years from one of your apprentices years ago. So <clears throat> I took her to the Airbnb, and I gave her a um, hydrating enema. I told her to put the first you, little bit in there. You never learned that from it. me. I didn't learn it from you. No, I did not learn it from you. But no, as a matter a, of fact, I am, absolutely, I am absolutely against that. I know you are, and, I'm not, and it wasn't for a purge. 
and it wasn't for a cleanse. I used it strictly to get fluid into her, which she absorbed. Maybe was she throwing up? Half a pint. Was she throwing profusely. up? She's she throwing no, up. No, nope. she only threw up once, only once at the very beginning of it. Is there some reason that she could not have drunk marshmallow infusion or comfy infusion or linden infusion, all of which are deeply hydrating? I did. I was giving her comfrey infusion and with the bone set, but she just was just sipping on it. And I just felt like by day four, she was feeling like, Mom, I want to go to the hospital or I want to do something. I got to do something. I'm just not feeling better. I understand. The marshmallow is very mild and very nice. And all three of them, linden or comfrey or marshmallow, ideally are served with a lot of honey. And. Yes. And really taken by the cup, not by the sip. Infusion. But do tell me. The ideal is to drink and you, do you, in Have a you day. heard about that um, reinfusing, infusing the body, you know, rehydrating through enemas? In situations where people are throwing up to the extent that they cannot hold down even water, yes, this situation. This is an escalation. And I don't like it. I, I hear you. I, I, okay. Yes, I it is, it's an emergency measure. Have you heard about CPR? Do you know that when somebody does CPR, they generally break the person's sternum? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, a little too much too soon. Now, that's okay if we're saving a life, isn't it? True. But yes, yeah. it was too much, way too soon. That's what I'm saying. That's why there's okay. That's why there's abundantly well. That's why there's the seven medicines. And enema is deep medicine. It's like surgery or chemotherapy True. or radiation. That's exactly why. Amen. And Susan, that is at the extent that I did give it to her. Like it was, Mom, I'm going to go to the hospital. I need an IV. But I said, Oh my gosh, let me just. Let me just try this. What I'm, saying, what I'm saying is better to first really force fluids. Comfrey okay. is the hardest. Linden, marshmallow, comfrey. Let's face it. Marshmallow has hardly any taste at all. Linden tastes nice. And comfrey is like big and bold. So if I want somebody to drink something, I, what I will usually do is... Warm it enough to put honey in it and then pour it over ice because an iced liquid will go into circulation within five minutes. As compared to a warm liquid? Yes, which can take up to two hours. Repeat that for me so we can all hear that one more time. Ice your cold liquid. fluids get into your system better, quicker. Hugely better. When you are really hot and dehydrated, do you want a cup of hot liquid? No. No, but I mean, it makes perfect sense because you can suck down that great, you know, cool stuff because you're already heated up good and proper, right? Right. If you live live in China and you want ice, that is a pathology. You're sick because there's not ice available to you. If you live in India. Oh, my gosh. What a brilliant thought. Ice. You're sick because ice is not available to you. That's a pathology. But we That's live really in America where cold beverages and ice are available to us all the time. Let us avail ourselves of them. 
<laughs> just because these ancient cultures. And I do have- believe she did have corona, and I think that the numbers that we have her, I think it's been here a little bit longer than we think. It's a, it is a virus. She recovered. I didn't even get it. I was treating her. What I can tell you is on the Princess cruise ship, where 100% of the people were tested, 50% of the people who tested positive had few or no symptoms. And I, you know what, Susan, I've heard that from other sources as well. And so, half of that 50% of the other 50, half were treated, were asymptomatic. The other, the other half of that 50%, had nothing. Did I get that from you or some, from another source? No, 50 per, 50% of the people who were infected did show some symptoms like your daughter did. But half of the people who tested positive had few or no symptoms. And yes, basically any time there is a new virus, it moves into a population that has never seen it before. Get it, they become immune to it. So if I were running the world, I would just say, okay, let's really protect the people that it can hurt and everybody else get it. That's what I thought too, yes. And take care of each other. Now, does that, so, so are you saying that then the <laughs> next time that but I don't run the world. I don't run the world, so I just live in it. Too bad about that. Let's go Susan Weed for president. Sorry. That was yeah, yeah. Well, hey, if we couldn't get Hillary, and she's a lot more savvy politically than I am, that I don't think. <laughs> I... Wow. Anyhow, let's not go there. That was a lovely you know, thought. You must admit. Let's, let's use our time off to take care of ourselves, to cook great meals, and to if we're not already at what I'm calling phase two of our uh, herbal education, if we're not already sitting looking at our pantry and saying, yes, well, I've got the bone set and I've got the, you know, everything I need, then let's use this as time to start thinking about what we're going to do this year, what we're going to harvest. And you know that everybody and people that don't even think those thoughts are thinking those thoughts. Would it be inconvenient for me to ask you another question, which probably would take you a minute, but... I'm ready to go well, to the next uh, well, only like. a minute to answer. Let's go there. But if it's more than I, then I'll do a minute. Go I would ahead. love it if you would expound on your ideas about drinking water. What defines the boundary of each cell in your body? What defines the boundary of each water? No. Cell walls. No. Fat. Fat. Oh, because that's what those, these viruses are encircled in is fat. Every cell in your body has a double lipid layer. And that's what is called the cellular membrane. This lipid, okay. which is fat, right. right? Gotcha. Which is, what happens which when you pour water that's... on oil? Uh, just it separates. I think you understand why you cannot hydrate with water. Oh my gosh! Now here, so if you have, if you're, if you have to drink water, you haven't had, you know, no infusions are available. You got to drink something. Do you put salt in it? Do you put? Do you boil it? What is? If you do, you got to drink water. I put lemon in. 
But when I think about it, I think that our ancestors always drank water that had plants in it, right? Okay. And so throw any plant in it, you know? Lemon, cucumber, watercress, parsley. For the minerals? Or for the breakdown of water? Any minerals. What is but at least you'll get a few atoms or molecules of the plant, which will help your body receive it better. Anyhow, that's our minute. Green blessings. Thank you so much for calling, Mother of Ten. Thank you so much. Green blessings. Susan, I believe Rebecca has joined us. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, how are you? We're enjoying it tonight. How about you? I'm doing well. I um, just had a thought about the quercetin. quercetin, um, But we all drink it in linden infusion all the time. I remember when I was looking up some of the biochemistry of linden, and that was one of, like, its main constituents. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. And I bet it's from that green part of it, too, rather than... Yeah, yeah. And maybe the maybe because you can kind of see like it that that like uh, that like it kind of gets like almost like a pinkish orangish color you know like quercetin yeah. you know when you make quercetin broth it gets that kind of pinky orangey color uh, right quercetin broth yeah yeah broth. <laughs> oh so I think like that thanks for telling us that it's in Linden I can see it there it must be in sassafras too it's the same color. Apple peel is the other source that's usually cited, but it's April and apples are dear and very expensive. I have eaten all of my dried apples. I am eating applesauce, which was cooked with the peel, so I'm hoping there's some quercetin in it. Have I been cut off? I suddenly don't hear any sounds. No, ma'am. We're here, oh, okay. All right. trying to find Rebecca. Rebecca got cut off. Okay. Rebecca got cut off. We're going to move oh, yeah, on yeah. to a lady who's been waiting now. Uh, okay, let's we're gonna answer move on another to question. Person who's been waiting. So glad you're here. Love you, Rebecca. Yes. We have a two zero six. And what area code are we looking at? Hello? 206. Hi. That's there she is. Hey. Hi, Susan. It's Shay. How are you? Oh, Shay, hi. How are you? Hi. I oh, it's so good to hear so from you. Well. It's great to hear your voice, and I've really been enjoying your Abundantly Well course um, that I'm using as I read the book, and I love your little guided visualizations and stuff. So thanks for oh, that. Shay, thank you. That's just what I was hoping would happen. Yeah, it's fantastic. The reason I'm calling tonight, um, I know you probably are going to have a lot of callers, so I'll be quick. This summer, I was out harvesting different kinds of herbs that I ran across and making remedies, and I was really drawn to this beautiful plant, Um, and when I looked it up, I found out that it was um, Eupatorium rotundifolium, so it's a relative of bone set, um, but... So I made two huge jars of tincture, and I have them, but I haven't been able to find anything online that says that it has a similar property in being an ally for um, flu. So I wanted to ask you if you have experience working with Eupatorium rotundifolium. No, I have not. There are three Eupatoriums that grow around me. 
bone set is Eupatorium perfoliatum. Right. Because the stalk grows through the leaf. Mm-hmm. So perfoliatum, through the leaf. And there's Eupatorium purpurea. which is Joe Pieweed. Mm-hmm. And it is considered a medicinal plant. Mm-hmm. There, the third species of Eupatorium used to be Eupatorium urticafolia, leaves like nettle, which is how I usually mm-hmm. describe it. But the name got changed to Eupatorium rugosum, which means has a purple stem. And it can kill you. Yikes. In fact, it killed Abraham Lincoln's mom. Now, it can't, it can't do it in one dose. It has a nerve toxin in it. And then the way that Abraham Lincoln's mom died was that her cow was one of the few cows that would eat that plant. Most grazing animals won't. There's a lot of it around me, and the goats sure won't eat it. Um, It's called snakeweed around here, white snakeweed. And her cow ate it. And her cow excreted the poison from the plant into her milk. Oh, my goodness. And by drinking it day after day, Mrs. Abraham Lincoln's mom died. It took us a long time to put this together. Let me tell you, this was not very obvious. Mm. And it led to the bulking of milk. In other words, rather than the farm having a family cow, that the farmer would put the milk in a can and have it taken to a dairy where it would be all mixed together. That way, if there was any cow that was eating Eupatorium rugosum, it would be so thinly spread out through the milk supply that nobody would get sick. Wow. So, traditionally, it is the root of bone set, Eupatorium perfoliatum, and the root of Joe Pieweed, also known as Queen of the Meadow, Eupatorium perea, and a few other species. Um, They, what I have found here is that that Eupatorium rotundifolium has sesquiterpene lactones, um, both of which inhibit tumor growth. Oh, awesome. Yeah, but it doesn't make me think, oh, what a safe plant. Ah, okay, I hear you. Right. Um, I'm at Wikipedia. Thank you, Wikipedia. And Wikipedia is citing flora of the southern and mid-Atlantic states. Um, And, um, yeah, you could also try um, Dr. Jim Duke's website. Rebecca was mentioning it, I think. She was talking about looking up constituents in Linden, and usually when people want to look up the constituents in plants, they go to Dr. Duke's website, Dr. James Duke, because okay. he has all the constituents, and he doesn't tell you what they are or what they do. 
And remember, there can be hundreds of constituents in a plant. You have to know what you're what you're looking for. Like like she said, oh, I remember seeing quercetin. Mm-hmm. You have to know what would be a poison and what wouldn't. All right. Um, this is all very helpful. Um, I'm glad I didn't just dive into that jar mm-hmm. tincture. Um, so yeah, I the, will continue. The to picture do of it research. looks kind of like a cross between bone set and the white snake root. Yeah. The leaves are very it. nettle-like. Mm-hmm. And instead of being that really big tight-knit group of flowers like in the bone set. It's like the white snake root. It's just kind of like, you know, all right, this is all I could get together. (laughs) No, really, when you look at Joe Pie Weed, right, and there's like thousands of those little pink inflorescences just blooming, 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 and then the bone set, and there's just like hundreds of them crammed together there, and then you look, you know, at the white snake root and the thoroughwort, and it's like, okay, you got a couple of dozen. Good work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I see a real difference in the energy, but of course, I don't know it in person. I'm just looking at a picture. Mm. All right. Well, but good question, and bone set is Bone said is being used in China with good results. Ooh, so I'm okay, very good. proud of our North American herb. All right. Thank you so much for your wisdom and your time and for holding us steady and in nourishment during this challenging time. Green blessings. Thank you. Green blessings. Bye-bye. Susan, I can see that... We have Rebecca here with us again. Are you mentioning the doctor that you spoke of? Are you there, Rebecca? Yeah, I'm here. So what okay. I what I really called to to um, talk about was I I just know that we're all of course going through this huge collective change and I you know transitioned right at the kind of onset of you know this pandemic breaking out and I've been getting lots of messages from the listeners and I really thank everyone who has written me and um, I just want to tell about an offering that I'm offering um, and. I think it's important for this audience um, because of the work that Susan does um, with being such like a caretaker and a steward of the earth. And um, all of the listeners, I'm going to offer this meditation during this um, Pluto-Jupiter. It's it's conjuncting at a specific time, and there's a call to action for um, a lot of people that are holding the earth sacred at this time as there's like an awakening happening for humanity. And I'm going to hold a space on Facebook and Instagram Live at 7.30 on April 4th, which is Saturday, and that's um, 7.30 p.m., Pacific time, and so whatever time zone you're in, um, you can go either onto my Facebook page, which is Rebecca Roselle, and that's R O Z E L L E, and or my Instagram, whatever your whatever avenue is easier for you, which is Nourish Wholeness on Instagram. So, um, just wanted to make that available for this audience um, because. I do believe that this is like a time where we can all come together in like a unified vision and like, and I'm so happy to hear that you're putting that out there about the fear, Susan, because this is um, my vision is to like transform that 
fear from to a, a way of like seeing a path forward and we're going to see what comes through and um, I'm going to just like act as kind of a channel for this energy to come through because I've been receiving lots of guidance in this way and um, I've been called to kind of share that with a larger audience so thank you for hearing me <laughs> you go Rebecca yes all yes. right 7.30 West Coast time, 10.30 East Coast time. Mm-hmm. You are going to be leading a meditation to help us make the most of this opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And I and I ask that if you have like a favorite like plant that you work with and um, can, that helps bring you into a meditative space, it doesn't have to be, you know, psychoactive, but anything that you feel a call to uh, working with in that space so we can really harness like the energy of the earth and to be in that space together of like healing the earth and, you know, holding like a protective grid with the earth. So, yeah. If you were sick and a healer came into the room and you leapt out of bed and shoved them into bed and said, I would heal you, Mm -hmm. that would be kind of funny, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. So let's remember that the earth is our healer. We are not her healer. I know, I, and I totally, like, yeah, I know. And I, I just want to say that, you know, like, there has, I feel like, been this, like, um, abusive kind of paradigm that has taken over the earth, obviously, like, with, like, the mass, like, drill, it's just being exploited and, you know, species are dying all over the world. And I just feel like, you know, like, that we as, like, we can – have like a unified vision of protecting and like creating more of a sacred container for the earth to, you know, regenerate at this time. And I mean, it's happening through this coronavirus outbreak is that we're seeing like there's a a lot of regeneration in the earth at this time. So, yeah. And I, I totally respect the earth and the power of the earth. And like, I just, I feel like as humanity and as like, I feel like we came here for this reason to be here with the earth, you know, and to, um, and to, really protect the earth at this time, like while it's going through this transformation. I hear you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do not perceive any transformation that the earth is going through, but I hear you. You do. Mm-hmm. Well... I guess the earth to me is so old, five billion years old, and mm-hmm. has gone through so many things, and we are hardly noticeable to the earth. We've mm. been here for such a short time. Mm. I certainly agree that our relationship to that which supports us could be done better. Mm-hmm. Then again, if any one of us said, what's my relationship with my parents like? Mm-hmm. I suspect that most people would say, not as well as I'd like it to be. And she is our mother. 
So it is a relationship with a parent. Yeah, there's just a lot going on, and I feel like now's the time that we can kind of come together in like a unified field of consciousness. And um, I remember you saying like that you think that there needs to be like you know 10 billion people on the planet for that to happen. But I feel like there's really a, a opportunity at this time for people to come together in a unified vision. So, I mean, I'm just like a small part. I know a lot of other people are going to be holding ceremony and doing meditations. Yeah. At- I'm so I just wanted to throw that and out. I w- want there to be, you know, a, a greater sense of um, respect. Yeah, respect. Mm-hmm. respect. I'd like to see a lot more respect for yeah. mother. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. That's It's the respect. And, uh, yeah, there's been so much, like, arrogance and ego and you can see like this massive ego taking over right now i mean yeah there's so much going on and um just uh to hold like a safe place for people and in their process of awakening more so i guess than maybe even like the earth transforming it's like as people transform to be more alignment and more of an alignment with the earth that's what i think too because Yeah. yeah earth you know she does her thing and she's a lot, lot older than us. And um, I, yeah, I, th- I think that um, that it's always really important to stop and say, how do I relate to that which cares for me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, for me, it was one of the more shocking things as I um, was more and more sought out um, wisdom from Native people, um, I realized that the Native people that I had met didn't understand ecology the way I understood it. Mm-hmm. I was with a woman and she pointed to a very rare plant and she said, we use that for coughs and colds. And I said, oh, that's such a rare plant, and this common plant, and this common plant, and this common plant also could be used in that way. And she said, well, why wouldn't you want to use this one? And I said, well, because it's rare, and there won't be more of it. And she said, well, then we'll use another one. Hmm. And it was that sense, and I think it's a lovely sense, that the earth is there gifting her with what she needs. And if the earth runs out, it's not her fault. Whereas you and I think if the earth runs out, it is my fault. The miracle is that we stopped cutting down trees. The way of all indigenous people all over the world is to cut down trees. So it's a it's a complicated thing, and can we use um, what we're being given at any time for the greatest possible good? I hope so. Mm-hmm. I always hope so. I don't think we have to have a transformation or paroxysm of any kind to always use whatever we're given for the greatest possible good. 
Mm-hmm. I took a walk with White Feather today, and we were both kind of joking um, how little our lives have changed, that we live so much, you know, in the woods and outdoors and away from people anyhow, that social isolation, I don't even notice. What? Is that, what, is that what, what, what's supposed to be happening? Okay, you know, I still go out shopping once a week, which is all I've ever done. And so very little, really, um, in, in my personal life has changed. Yeah, I'm having a similar experience, actually, because I work from home, and so I'm like, you know, I'm here a lot, but I can feel it in the collective, you know. It's like the, the level of the anxiety, I'm very, like, sensitive like that. So I feel, like, called to to be of support, you know, of course, as, as you do. Yes, I totally understand that people are anxious. And the best way to support them is walk in their house and turn their TV off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, really, if we seriously want to support people in being less anxious, they just have to turn it off and stop listening because it's not doing them any good that I can tell. Mm-hmm. But what are the chances of that? Not big. So that's well. Thing. Well, thank you for for hearing me and letting me speak my offering. And um, I am I, so glad you were this, Rebecca. I am. So thrilled. It's just been amazing to see you thrive and grow and to come into your own. And I really support what you're doing, which is helping people take care of themselves. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. I feel empowered with the wise woman ways, and I'm so grateful. So, Goody, that's so, just what we want. Yeah, it's a wonderful path for us to yeah. walk on. It is, truly is. Thank you for sharing it. Thank you for everything that you offered and all the visions that you're receiving right now. Thank you. All right. Have a great night, everyone. (laughs) Pacific time, 7.30, East Coast time, 10.30, Saturday. Be with Rebecca and Rebecca's meditation. And uh, Hallie Inglehart, uh, author of The Heart of the Goddess, um, is um, very uncharacteristically um, offering um, what she uh, says is the most potent meditation she has ever met. It was the thing that helped her get over Lyme disease. And uh, she never shares it, but she feels that the times are calling for her to share it, and so she's going to for free. And I think that Justine is... Um, putting that out on social media so you'll know where to get in touch with Hallie's meditation. So many um, beautiful, beautiful offerings. And how uh, how lovely to see people responding by taking care of each other. And speaking wonderful. of taking care, let's see if there's any more questions. We have a lot of questions, and I am going to ask 305. If you are there, you're patched through to Susan, 305. Hello, Susan. Green blessings ah, to you. And green all blessings to you. I wanted to ask your thoughts on spiderwort. This is a lovely herb that I just came across recently and I have been enjoying, but I don't know very much about. 
the purple wild spiderwort, Japanese spiderwort, yeah. is it sometimes called? I'm calling from Florida, and I've recently found patches by my mother's house, and I've never noticed them until recently. They pur- do they have purple flowers? Purple flowers, yes, they do. Purpley, bluey flowers, yeah? Yep. Yeah, okay, that's that's what many people are calling uh, spy- Japanese spiderwort or spiderwort. And it certainly is a beautiful plant. I don't know of any particular use for it medicinally. It grows around me as well. But one fun piece of lore um, that I haven't checked out, but that's okay because n- none of us own nuclear power plants, so we wouldn't um, try this at home. Uh, but apparently... Um, if this plant grows around a nuclear power plant, um, it will actually change the color of its flower in the presence of radiation. Hmm. I so think I've heard of that. Be kind of an early warning. Um, wow. Right. So if you do decide to, you know, start a nuclear power plant, you might want to grow this around there, but don't do that. Anymore. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, but it's a it's a wonderful plant, and it uh, comes back. I'm not. I don't think it's a perennial. I think it's a really a well a hardy self seeding annual. Okay, thank you so much. You're and welcome. you were talking about Queen of the Meadow root. I was wondering what preparations would you use it for? How you would use it? Dry uh-huh. cream. And what of the Queen of the root? Meadow do you have? Since it's a common name, there are several plants that go by that. What does it look like, the, your queen of the meadow? do not know. It's a dried herb that I purchased online, but I have yet to use it. Does it have a botanical name? Um, I believe so, but I wouldn't. I don't know it's right as of now. The next time you call, call with the botanical name, and I'll talk to you about it, okay? Will do. Thank you so much. Green blessings to you and Green everyone. Green blessings. Good night. We have a 908 caller. Hi, Susan. It's Dorothy from New Jersey. Hi, Dorothy. Hi. Um, I am so um, thrilled about all of the the sharing that people are doing. It's so supportive, and I I just wanted to agree with you on that. It's it's been. So just surprising and also just amazing. So thank you for your part in it and um, and so many others as well. Um, and my question tonight is um, about hawthorn berries. I received some. I had ordered uh, through the mail. And um, they have a little bit of white on them. Yes, they not- do. Yeah, it's okay. It's like almost like sugar has, can you know? Something. It's in the apple family. Have you ever had an apple in your hand that had kind of a white bloom on it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure because I, you know, I didn't. It doesn't sure look right. like I understand. I'm glad you asked. Yes. Okay. Thank you so right. much. Susan. Green blessings. Green blessings. Good night. Good night. Susan, we have a 551 caller. 
Hi, Susan. Hi. Can you hear me okay? I can. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I have asthma and am wondering about the effects of smoking on the lungs, particularly cannabis. Um, That's been an ally for me for a few years. Um, I only smoke a few puffs like once or twice a week, Um, but recently also read your article about smoking mullen and how that can be healing to the lungs. Um, Right now, I guess, is a a pretty high-stakes time for making sure that the lungs are in good health, you know, considering you mentioned that uh, it's not about if you get the coronavirus, but when you get it. (laughs) So keeping that in mind um, and having asthma, again, I want to make sure that my lungs are in tip-top shape. So what is your take on that? And um, do you think it's just a better idea to maybe not smoke at all? (laughs) You know, just want to be clear. What do you think? All over the world, the application of the smoke of herbs to the lungs by inhalation has been considered healing. Okay. So I think that it's very important what you have shared that you're not um, smoking 10 times a day. Right. Right? Most pipe carriers that I know smoke at sunrise and sunset. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's a ritual obligation if you're a pipe carrier to smoke. And those are the usual times. So, difficult for me when real plants come something else. What do I mean by that? Um, The trend in herbal medicine has been always to find the most active plant and to find the safest way to use it. And because the most active ingredients in plants are poisons, finding safe ways becomes critically important and eventually winds us up in manufacturing drugs. Because then we can standardize. And plants don't standardize. Mm. But what we lose, and what we all know that we lose when we do that, is we lose the connection between the person and the plant. And to me, that's that's what is missing for many people. Mm-hmm is that they don't have a connection, a personal connection between themselves and the plant. So if your smoking is making a personal connection for you with the plants, then 
to my mind, there's healing going on. Mm-hmm. That has been my experience with cannabis. It it did offer me um, a deeper relationship with my emotions and even my family, and it's meant a lot to me in that way. And from what you say, you treat it with great respect. You don't overdo it. Mm-hmm. And because those kinds of plants are deep medicine, um, that's what we need and want to do is to treat them with the same care and respect that we would any other deep medicine. And I, uh, from what you say, um, you know, you get an A+. plus. That's exactly what you're doing. You're being careful. You're watching out. And you're making use of a plant, cannabis, which is an infinitely variable plant. And I think that's one of the things that makes it somewhat hard for people. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if this is focused in enough on, on what you're asking. Well, you offer uh, an interesting perspective to it, which is it really resonates with me because, again, I think the reasons I've been attracted to it and I've had a developed a relationship with it is because of its its ability that I felt to really have me look within and I feel empowered often by my relationship with it. And I guess the concern right now is, you know, would I be doing more harm to specifically my lungs? You know, again, I have asthma. So it's like, you know, considering when you, how... When you smoke occasionally, does it exacerbate your asthma? Um, not... I mean, not so much that I can notice that much. You know, I mean, yes, like, it's like been once used, in a while... I'll, used as a treatment for people who have asthma. You see, what has happened is that smoking has come to mean smoking tobacco. Right, right. But you are That's what I thought. You're not smoking tobacco. Yeah. And I, I heard what you said once also about making sure, you know, you clean your pipe and just make sure that I'm taking the precautions to, you know, deal with residue and things in, in that way, which I think makes sense. Um, Part of the respect. Yes. Yes. And do you think it it is uh, worthy to mix in some mullein with it so that, you know, just to increase its healing properties directly to the lungs if I'm going to do it anyway? Each you know? pipe carrier usually made their own smoking mix. Right. There were apparently more than 100 plants used 
in smoking mixes in North America. Everything from corn silk to sumac berries and a bunch of other stuff. Mm -hmm. So if you are called to do that, sure. You know, really, really really pay attention to yourself. You know, it's interesting what happens when you pay attention to yourself. At least I find it so. Um, I used to have a friend, she's dead now, who um, was on a ventilator and would sometimes get really nauseated and things that would like really the fastest bring her out of it because you just don't want to throw up. Which on a ventilator. Um, would was acidophilus capsules, and believe me, I tried yogurt, but no, what she what she responded to was the acidophilus capsules. So I kept acidophilus capsules on hand um, for her, and I was tidying up. I'm sure we're all tidying up. What else is there to do? And I found them, <laughs> right? And I said, oh, my goodness, you know, and I shared a little, you know, memory of her and what fun times we had and all the the work that she had done for uh, people in wheelchairs. And and then my body said, take one of those capsules. I said, what? And then this morning um, I was reading a thing from an MD, and he said, it's really important right now to take acidophilus. I don't mean eat yogurt. I mean you really have to take acidophilus right now. And I thought, now, isn't that interesting? Isn't that just fascinating? That those acidophilus capsules, which had been in my refrigerator for a long time, pulled me and said, you need me now. So listen up. Things are talking to us. Yes, I absolutely, absolutely feel that. Yeah. Thanks for your call. Thank you. Oh, and what was that ritual you said that um, the people who carry pipes have a responsibility to? each day at sunrise and each day at sunset. But that's a specific kind of commitment that has been made. And if you are Mm -hmm. carrying your own pipe and have not made that specific commitment, you don't have to make that commitment. You can make... A commitment that suits you and your life. Gotcha. Thanks so much, Susan. You're wonderful, and I'm very grateful for you. Thank you so much. Green blessings. Thank you. Green blessings. Susan, we have a 917 caller. Hello. Hi. Um, oh, such a delight to be listening to this same conversation. I have a glass of elderberry sherry, and I'm just <laughs> sitting back and just found an old bottle of sherry that it's probably five years old, and um, decided to add some elderberry syrup to it. It's been lovely. All right, how pretty. <laughs> so I have a question about. Um, um, I, I've seen. I'm really beginning to really delve much more deeply into your work and um, all of your philosophies. And I have seen several references, and actually on on these calls, I've also heard you make reference to avoiding 
um, essential oils. So I have a que- just a clarifying question about that. My understanding of what you're saying about essential oils is that we need to avoid them, you know, in, in the sense of diffusing them and using them as kind of air freshener because they are actually a medicine. Um, and I'm just curious about um, the fact that they are a medicine. I had a bit of an abundance of, of frankincense and had just added it to some coconut oil. And after I go to the grocery store, um, I've been, Not an essential um, oil. Pardon? That is not an essential oil. Oh. It's not. Can you say more about that? Yes. Any plant that is put in oil is an infused oil. I see. An essential oil is an oil that has been extracted, concentrated, and purified. You put, what, an ounce of frankincense in a couple of ounces of oil? Right, in some coconut oil and just use it on my hand. In a way, you diluted it. Essential oil of lavender, one ounce of essential oil of lavender represents about a ton of lavender. Uh So 2,000 pounds of lavender becomes one ounce. It is concentrated. And it is the concentration of it which makes it a drug. Because that is one of the ways that we make a drug. Is that we concentrate a substance found in nature. I can go to a willow tree and I can harvest willow bark. And I can extract from that bark a compound, salicin, and I can concentrate it so that a small amount is a dose. And then I can purify it to make sure that it is only that and there's nothing else in there. And once I have extracted, concentrated, and purified salicin, I will sell it to you as aspirin. Mm -hmm. Would you consider that an herbal medicine? Now I will. I would not consider it an herbal medicine. I would consider it a drug. Got it. And essential oils are drugs. They are not herbal medicines. I have have said before, and I will continue to say, in most instances, if somebody said, well, you could use an antibiotic or you could use an essential oil, I would say, I'll take the antibiotic. Remember that Rebecca and I, or somebody tonight, and I were talking about um, the cells in your body and that they all have a lipid layer. Oh, it's the mother of ten. And that your cells have a lipid layer. Essential oils strip 
fats. If you've ever spilled an essential oil on a finished tabletop, it takes the finish right off. If you've ever spilled it on plastic, it melts the plastic. And there's good scientific evidence that it does exactly the same thing to the cells in your body. That it melts them, gets into them, and destroys the mitochondria, which is the energy-producing part of your cells. I see. That's much. Thank you very much for clarifying that. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so I certainly do my best to live a, a essential oil-free life, and that means uh, not brushing my teeth with a toothpaste that has essential oil in it. Mm-hmm. All right, not using mouthwash with essential oil in right. it. Right. No, I've heard you say that many, many times. I just wasn't a hundred percent clear on on why. So I appreciate the clarification. Yeah, and um, I do go into it in pretty great detail and abundantly well. Oh, you do. Wonderful. I have that With, with all the scientific references. Great. And I just wanted to add one other thing to your conversation. Um, I, too, have been just completely perplexed about why this particular virus and not, you know, SARS and MERS and why why is this, has this shut down the global economy and causing so much pain and suffering on the part of the very vulnerable and mass migration and, you know, why why this um, virus and, and the articles that I were able to find basically said, because it's unknown. So we really look forward to your meditation on, on, um, on fear, since fear is clearly the... Um, the driving agenda of of this, and it's a real real question: why we have the need to shut down the entire global economy over this particular fear when we had this particular unknown. Um, so, thank you. You are welcome. Green blessings. Thanks for your call. Susan, we have a caller from three five two. Hey, Susan, it's Carol again. Um, on the webinar that we had with Paul Bergman, he mentioned the bone set in a tea, and you discussed with him about the tincture. Which, do you mind spending a second talking to me about that differentiation? I didn't get – I wasn't clear on it. I'm sorry. I called back, but I appreciate the time. Um, about that. I ahead, I'm sorry. do I'm not listening. remember that. What I remember was talking about usnea tincture and usnea tea. It was, he was talking about the studies that talked about using the bone set in a tea. Then, you, then I believe that the conversation is available for you to listen to. Do and you use the tincture versus the tea? I make tincture of bone set flour, and that's what I use. My question, thank you, Susan. I'll talk to you soon. Green blessings. Susan, we have a caller from the 845 area code. Hi, this is Tatiana. Hi, Tatiana. Hi, Susan. How are you tonight? I am. I'm drinking these teas, and uh, 
I have to go and take them again. The five of them, actually only four, because the, the stinking nettle, I have the tincture of it that I take for uh, the allergy season, so I'm not drinking the tea. Mm-hmm. So you lose all the benefit of the nettle. Too bad. Really? Mm-hmm. I mean, so so the tincture of my... Let us envision that you and I are going to the nettle patch, and we both have a. We are both going to harvest four ounces of nettle, and I'm going to take my four ounces of fresh nettle and I'm going to hang it up to dry, and it will become one ounce of dried nettle. And I will take that one ounce of dried nettle, and I will make a quart of infusion of it. You are going to take your four ounces of fresh nettle and put it in a quart jar, and it will fill the jar right up to the top. And then you're going to add alcohol to make a tincture. And you will have 32 ounces of nettle tincture. Let's say it's not true, but let's say that alcohol and water extract the same nutrients from the nettle. I'm going to drink the whole quart of nettle infusion, getting all four ounces of nettle into me in one day. How much tincture are you going to take? One dropful. One dropperful. Let's see, there's 40 dropperfuls in a one-ounce bottle. If you have a quart that's 32 ounces, let's say 30 just to make it easy. 30 times 40 is 1,200? I'll let you do the math. I'm, I'm foggy. Well, that's what I would say. Three times four is twelve, and then two zeros, one thousand two hundred. Mm-hmm. So you, you get one, one one thousandth of what I get from drinking the infusion by taking the tincture. Oh. Okay, I got that. You are totally missing out by not drinking nettle infusion. All right. I, I I thought that the tincture is the one that's concentrated. No, uh, it it's not con- It's the opposite of concentrated. Uh, now I understand because I'm taking motherwort and uh, hawthorn, as you told me, and uh, so that is not that concentrated. I thought it was. No, a tincture is not a concentrate. Okay, my next. A question is, uh, I had an aggravation with uh, a dearest one, and I got my blood pressure up like crazy and pains in the chest, and I thought I was going to die. And I didn't die, but I had pain for about two or three days. Uh, Not terrible, but scary and not long, just like needles in the chest. and they were uh, on the left side, and I know that the heart is in the center, so I'm kind of asking for reassurance. It's not possible for me over the phone to know what happened. The, really, the only way that we could know is if you had a blood test and there's certain things in your blood that are only there if you've actually had a heart attack. It's certainly possible that you had a heart attack. I don't know. There's really no way for me to tell. Uh, What I do suggest that people do, if they think they're having a heart attack and they really can't tell, is to take motherwort. 
You can take another wart by the dropper fall. You can take it every 15 to 20 minutes if you feel you need to. And if it's really emotional disturbance, the motherwort will help you feel less disturbed. And a motherwort is wonderful for helping your blood pressure normalize. So that's all to the better there, too, if it, the aggravation has driven your blood pressure up. Um, I always notice that when I yell at the apprentices, my blood pressure goes way down. It's just so satisfying. So, so, oh, well, you shouldn't get upset. You know, your blood pressure will go up. I say, oh, no, when I get upset, my blood pressure goes down because I'm so happy. <laughs> Why can't I? <laughs> now I have one short question, and that is uh, I have a hip that hurts forever, and when I went, of course, to a to a hip specialist, he said that I need another hip, and I said, no way. Uh, is there any herbal way to help that hip, uh, I don't know, regenerate or have more glue there or whatever, or just less pain? My right hip. Again, I- it's difficult for me to say over the telephone. Okay. I have had, you know, really good friends um, that ultimately went for hip replacement after trying everything else and said, oh, I wish I'd done this years earlier. Yeah, I'm not going to do it. I'm 78. I'm ready to die in pain. It's okay. <laughs> Are you drinking comfrey infusion? Yes, I do. I do. I, I wanted to ask it. I drank them for three weeks. Shall I change any of them or the same ones renew them? Cause You're I, rotating I, through those f- four or five, right? Yes, uh, I I prefer the hibiscus somehow. I have a real affinity with it. And uh, I what I suggest is you make a quart of hibiscus and have it in the refrigerator, and then make any one of the other five as your daily brew. So uh-huh. one day nettle, next day oat straw, next day red clover, next day comfrey, next day linden, or any order you want, but that you rotate through them. You said that I'm drinking maybe too much, and I thought about that, and it's true. I do drink after I finish them. I drink water, and I think it has to do with the fact that I eat quite salty, and maybe that's why I need more water. And that's bad for me. You put a lot of salt on your food? Not a lot, but more than other people. (laughs) Not a lot. Like... uh, I, I, I love salt, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They say that if your mother was real morning sick that as an adult, you really need a lot of salt in your food. I don't know if it's true, but I thought that was fun. Um, you know, it really depends. If you're cooking all your own food and you're yeah. not adding salt while you're cooking the food and you salt at the table, it's almost impossible to get too much salt because it will taste too salty. Where people are getting too much salt is cooked into foods where they can't taste it and from sodium preservatives that are put in foods because I said to myself how could somebody even eat that much salt in a day it would like be crazy and I as I looked into it it's from food preservatives so if you're eating processed foods with food preservatives then putting a lot of salt on your food is not going to be healthy for you but if you're cooking on your own food and you're not adding salt while you're cooking that food then it's not going to be a problem but it's a different taste when I add the salt at the end rather than during the cooking. It's it's a different chemical thing. It, it tastes very different, right? I feel a different. I feel yeah. a different. You know, if I cook the noodles in in 
uh, water without salt, they have a different taste. If I put salt after that, or the potatoes, or anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. Apparently, they cook more easily, too, because the salt can actually interfere with the cooking process. That's, I don't mind about the interference. I'm into good taste. Yes. <laughs> I love this uh, Himalayan salt. I love it. Ah, wonderful. Well, thank you for calling. There's a lot of people tonight, so I'm going to say Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Susan, we have a couple of questions, several from the Internet that came in about bone set. And I'm going to post with the uh, Wise Woman team some bone set resources, including that um, talk that was the other night with Paul. So anyone who's interested in more bone set information, it is available. And we'll be posting it on Facebook. Look for Susan S. Weed, unless you have anything to add to that question, Susan. About bone set. I'm not sure what that question is. Well, I've gotten a lot of questions online that just asked you to elaborate on bone set and how one would use this. And we'd had a couple calls with bone set this evening, so I wanted to address that for some of the emails that I received, that you do go into how you use bone set in great detail. You have some YouTubes and other articles, and I'd be happy to post those for listeners who are interested in bone set information. Wonderful. Um, to address yes, those questions this week. The, yeah, let's with, do that. Standing in the swamp with Justine talking about the boat set. <laughs> yes, ma'am. I found those and I thought, you know, I'm getting a lot of questions. So I just want to let our listeners know if they look on Facebook for Susan S. Weed, you will see uh, bone set information coming up about how Susan uses it and her advice about that plant. And we also have a question online, uh, several actually, (laughs) about the Instapots and the Pressurgers and some people considering that they are, they're wondering if the vitamins get preserved better in the pressure cooker. And we've, most of us have heard your feelings about it. And I'm not sure if this is something you want to address further or explain to folks why they may not want to cook with a, a slow ABC cooker, pressure very cooker. Quickly here. Very, very quickly. Yes, um, All right. And I always ask, and you may know the answer, um, for anyone to please tell me a plant that contains vitamin A. And, of course, the answer is there is no plant that the contains vitamin A. The simplest one would be carrots. No, carrot carrots does not right? contain vitamin no? A. Okay. No, it does not. Vitamin A is a compound produced by the liver, and carrot doesn't have a liver. There you go. Carrot contains carotenes, and those carotenes can be turned into vitamin A in your body. But there's no plant that contains vitamin A. Now, the longer that a plant is cooked, the more carotenes you get. So if you were to make, say, tomato sauce in a pressure cooker, then you would get more carotenes because you're cooking it at a higher temperature. But you don't have to do that. You know, just normal way of cooking tomatoes down will also get that for you. B vitamins are water-soluble vitamins, 
that are heat stable unless the temperature is over boiling. In other words, if the temperature is greater than boiling, which it is in a pressure cooker, then B vitamins are destroyed. The things that contain B vitamins, the good sources of B vitamins, are grains, beans, and meats. So what I say to people is a pressure cooker is excellent for cooking anything except grains, beans, and meats. And usually people just laugh at me and say, well, that's the only thing I cook at my pressure cooker is grains and beans and meats. And I say, yeah. So turn it into a planter. Or just cook your tomato sauce in it. Because those very important B vitamins are not being helped by the heat of the pressure cooker in any way. Now, vitamin C, poor vitamin C, you know, it's the weakling of the vitamins. It's killed by heat. It's killed by light. It's killed by time. It's killed by water. Oh, poor vitamin C. I call it the bend over vitamin. If you have not bent over and picked a dandelion leaf, you probably didn't get any vitamin C. Right? It's the one that you really need to just get right there on the spot. Vitamin D, just like vitamin A, does not actually occur because it is made by the liver. But there's an exception to that, and that is that some mushrooms can actually make vitamin D. So if you take your dried mushrooms and put them out in the sun, they will actually make vitamin D. But um, pressure cooking a food will not get vitamin D from that food. Um, and the longer time or the greater heat will not give you vitamin D. Vitamin E is very heat sensitive, and the longer and hotter that something cooks, the less vitamin E you will have. So what have we established? That pressure cooking could increase the amount of vitamin, pro-vitamin A, carotenes that you get, um, would not in any way help the B vitamins or the C vitamins or the D vitamins or the E vitamins. So not looking very good for pressure cooking, is it? I do prefer the taste of a nice slow cook as well. But I really appreciate you explaining that. I learned more things just having you explain it again. Thank you, Susan. I hope our listeners are able to hear that. And I will reach out. I'll reach out to those who emailed me and ask them to listen to this podcast if they're not listening now as we answered some questions tonight. Thank you. You're welcome. And thanks for taking care um, so carefully and with such love of everybody and helping them to get their questions answered. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Susan. It's a wonderful opportunity. Oh, my goodness. Oh. oh. Well, we have Chris with us here. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Callers, remind me. If we couldn't get to you tonight. Oh, uh, I'm the one. Is Chris Chris called in? Chris is here. And any callers. Okay, good. Well, let me introduce her because it's bad mine. By much. Just a minute. And my bad. I apologize. That's okay. Chris Frankauer, writer and educator, graduated from Middlebury College with a master's degree in both counseling psychology from the Union Institute of Vermont College and educational leadership of Castleton University. She's the published author of fiction and nonfiction, including four romance novels. 
She also released her memoir of grief, garlic, and gratitude about surviving, losing her middle son to an opioid overdose. Chris lives in beautiful Addison County, Vermont, with her husband and youngest son, a small herd of alpacas and sheep, a flock of chickens, and several hives of bees. Chris loves to spend time with her family, including an older son, daughter, and grandchildren. She loves to garden, and she loves to spin alpaca fiber for yarn for knitting. While continuing her own writing projects, Chris also works as a ghostwriter and a freelance writer in both fiction and nonfiction. Welcome to the show, Chris. I don't know if you got to hear me at the very beginning of the show, but I said that I was fascinated to find out how it is that you got into writing romance novels. <laughs> well, thank you for having me, Susan. I'm so glad to join you tonight. The the sort of story behind romance writing, um, my grandmother, who was a flapper during the 20s and um, then went on to be a very um, stable, normal-type housewife, um, she loved Harlequin romances. And when I was young, she would sneak me romance novels, much to the chagrin of my mother, who felt they were just horrible. And when I became a stay-at-home mom myself, when our son Sam was born, um, I started writing, and they turned into romance novels. And my first three were actually written under a pen name using my grandmother's name to honor her for her part in my becoming a romance writer. And I talked about my dear friend, Marie Summerwood, who um, wanted to do a TV series about um, women um, and romance novels. Oh, neat. Yes. Yes, so that she would, you know, she would show the woman at her, you know, kind of housewifely tasks, right? And then she would show you what was going on inside her head, and what was going on inside her head was the romance novel that she was reading. Absolutely. It's a great, great sort of subtext to have going on in your life. Exactly. So she wasn't just washing the dishes. She was, you know, meeting the uh, <laughs> the bodice buster. <laughs> and so safe, too, since they're not in the neighborhood. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, so that was, um, you came out of the closet about writing romances, it sounds like. I actually, I didn't plan to. I planned, um, because I'm a middle school principal, I had planned that my, when I first became a published author that I would continue to write under my pen name because it's a little different to have um, a middle school principal who's writing romances. And yet the local paper, when they ran a story about my memoir, because it's a, Vermont has lots of very small towns, the writer for the paper knew that he had heard from a friend that I wrote romances, and so I was outed on the front page of the local paper. And so my most recent novel, oh, I wrote under my own name. <laughs> <laughs> so much for keeping secrets in a small town. Yeah, it was just, it was out in the open. Do you think it's adversely affected your ability to be a middle school principal? I think it actually has had the opposite effect. The 
Uh, the number of times I have been able to, in, in the year since I was outed, been able to sit down with students and talk about my own writing process and you know, that I understand when they're upset with a teacher's comments about their writing or things like that. I talk about how I have the two most incredible editors, one who is always hugs and kisses and love, and the other makes me swear regularly. And I talk with the kids about that process, and and the kids are really excited about the fact that they know someone who is a published author. Yes, that is often the case when we have been trying to keep something secret for a reason, that when it does come out, we discover that our reason was nonsense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> um, the romances sound like a lot more fun than than losing a son. Yes, yes, very much so. Although I do have to say, um, our Sam, who passed away in 2013, Sam always, um, you know, my children, my husband, always have been incredible cheerleaders um, for my writing. But Sam was the one who, um, when I would try to put a book out to, say, publishers or, or agents and I would get rejected, he would come back around and say, you know, Mom, this is going to happen. It will happen. And when it happens, we'll all go out to dinner together and we'll order anything we want to order. And after he died... I realized that I needed to keep trying to have my novels published because of his belief in me. And part of that then translated into the need for me to tell the story of losing him to an opioid overdose and how I found how we as a family and his friends and and all these people that, that love him so much found hope and healing through gratitude and through connection to nature and through gardening and working our land and doing those things. And so it all sort of connected together in a in a very unusual way, but a way that works for us. Ah, that's where the garlic comes from. That's where the garlic comes from. Grief, garlic, and gratitude. Sam, um, the last six months of Sam's life, Sam worked on an organic vegetable farm. And it was the time in his life that he was most at peace. He found, which we had been telling him his entire life, but he didn't listen to us, we told him all along that there is nothing better than digging your hands in the dirt and growing things. And when he went to work on that farm, he found such peace in the soil and being out in the fields and working there. And he thought garlic was the most magical thing he could grow. And when he passed away, the farm gave us um, a whole bunch of garlic that Sam had grown. And we have been able to plant it and keep it in our perennial garlic bed and so we always, and you know, right now the snow is finally gone in Vermont, and now the garlic has come up and it's about two inches above the the mulch, and it just gives us such a sense of hope and love. Sam's garlic, wow. <laughs> Growing yes. beautifully. 
certainly makes me smile, too. Ah, uh, indeed. So you really like to write. Not only do, do you, you know, for yourself, but you write for other people. I do. I do, which is not something I ever... I never got up in the morning and said, I want to be a ghost writer or a freelance writer. But as I um, developed my own writing career, I began to hear from people asking if I wanted, at first it was blog posts or magazine articles, and has since then grown into writing um, you know, e-books about various topics and um, then also doing uh, some very interesting short romance novels as a ghostwriter and just trying new and different things. And I just plain love to write. So there's pretty much, I can't think of any topic or very few topics that I wouldn't enjoy writing about. Do you, like uh, Hemingway, have a schedule for your writing? I try to, um, but it's not. It depends on the day. It depends on the light and whether the sheep and alpacas want to be quiet on a given day or if they're being rambunctious. And it also depends. There are days while I think we as, as a family and myself as a mother have come a long way in our grief. There are still days when that grief hits and it's not the day to write. It's the day to go hike to one of Sam's favorite places and and let myself grieve as I need to. Yes. I experience grief as a spiral. Mm-hmm. That starts yes. out very tight and very turning and just gets wider and wider and wider. But I still come to those places where I need to set everything aside and let let myself feel. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's, there are days, and, and we refer to it often in our house as the day the days when we need to kick over the bucket of the grief and we need to let it pour out and cry or yell or whatever we need to do and then come back to living and living the life that Sam encouraged us to live and and you know to find that again and to go find some dirt that we can plant something in and keep going forward so do you think Sam would be embarrassed that you wrote a book about him no i think he <laughs> one of the things i talk about in the book is that there are now uh, five or six children that are named after sam and sam at one point said to a friend when he found out that his sister was pre- that our daughter was pregnant with her first child, that he felt that that baby better be named after him because he wanted a whole army of little Sams running around. I think Sam, you know, the book needed to have his picture on the front because Sam really enjoyed being. Um, he was very involved in theater. He liked being on stage. He liked being the center of attention. So, no, not embarrassed at all. Thrilled. No, I think he'd be shouting about it. (laughs) So, I'm not, there's a question that you gave me, and it says, do you plan a follow-up to the book? Is it a follow-up to Grief, Garlic, and Gratitude? 
That has been a topic that actually um, several of my students have talked to me about, asking about, you know, the, the book really followed the first 30 months after Sam's death. And what would I, my students ask me often what I say, what I think about grief now that we're years out. And really it was focused more on how to look at grief as an adult. Did I have ideas for how younger people, children, could look at grief? And so I have actually been working on a nonfiction piece for that more uh, middle school-aged population of looking at how to look at gratitude, how to look at daily life, no matter how difficult it is, how to find gratitude, how to be grateful each day, and how to use that as a healing force. And so in some ways, yes, there is a follow-up coming. Goody. Thank you. Thank you for being for being willing to do that. I often say to people that writing is a very lonely kind of thing. It can only be done by yourself in silence with no distractions. Yes. It's really kind of the ultimate kind of go-away world thing, and yet at the same time you're writing because you want to connect with the world. It Very much, and it's also, you know, for me having been, having written fiction up until, other than academic papers, up until writing the book about Sam, that, you know, I always had written about happily ever afters and made up characters. And to instead truly look at my own grief, how we as a community, how we dealt with it, dealing openly with how Sam died, which at that point in 2013, many people didn't want, you know, nice families didn't talk about having a child die of an overdose. And, you know, we faced that backlash in our community and what we, that we as a family said we weren't going to hide from that. It was a very lonely process, and it was a process that um, sort of pulled off the Band-Aid a lot. But in the end, I learned a lot about myself. I also learned a lot about Sam in that process. And uh, I would give anything to have him back here with us in in living form. But I am grateful for what I learned in that process. And I think from what you've told me about Sam, that Sam is laughing and happy that you have learned to turn your grief into gratitude. Yes. Absolutely. One of the one of our friends the day after Sam died made the comment to us that we needed to make sure that we didn't let the darkness take over our hearts that Sam would not want us to do that. And over and over we have had things happen where we have sat there and laughed and said that, you know, Sam's spirit in some way was still working within the universe and that it's always with the motivating, trying to motivate us to make connections with people to live the life that he wanted us to live. 
Wow. Yay, Sam. Mm. He was a life force. <laughs> what What do you wish that everyone could understand about grief? That grief is not something you get over. There isn't an end point. It changes. It shifts. Some days I think it mellows, but then one of those days will kick me, and I realize it hasn't mellowed. I just have adjusted to it differently. But that it also is a very, very personal experience. And, you know, I use often the example that I have to look at pictures of Sam laughing, smiling, dancing, hugging people. I I look at those every day because... That's how I want to remember him in my mind. The last time I actually saw Sam alive, he was doing just that. He was at his brother's soccer game cheering for him. The next time I saw him, he was dead. I don't want that as the image in my head. But there are other members of our family and our friends who still struggle looking at pictures of Sam because those pictures hurt so much. It hurts them to look at his picture and miss him. So, And what I've learned in this is there is no right way to grieve. There is a right way for you yourself how you grieve. And you don't have the right to tell someone else that they're wrong in their way, as long as they are not self-harming or harming others. It is their own journey. What you want everyone to understand about grief is that it's your journey, and so long as you're not hurting yourself or anyone else, then you need to do what you need to do. Yes. Think about the woman who had a stillborn child, and she had it at home, and they wanted to take it away from her, and she would not let them take it away from her. She held her dead baby for three days until she Mm -hmm. was willing to give it up. Mm Mm-hmm. And that was what she needed to do. That's what she said. She said it didn't matter what other people were saying. I knew what I needed to do. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that that for me, you know, having studied both traditional and more alternative theories of psychology, I really went into, you know, I had grieved before, but grieving for a child, I still think is different. And I went into it with a, I would go through the seven stages and it w- there would be a, an end point. And I really felt that the first anniversary of his death, that the day after, it was going to get so much better. And I realized on the one year, one day, that it still was there and I needed to learn how to to make peace with that, with the fact that that grief will always be with me. It isn't as debilitating as it was in the very beginning, but it is still there and it will be, and that's because it's love. It's a, another manifestation of love. The heart is a soft organ. It cannot be broken. Yes. Say, oh, my heart is broken. 
then it is broken open to more love. Thank you for reminding us. So important. Thank you. I think it's especially important what you're saying tonight because people are thinking a lot about death. Yes. And this thinking about it I don't I don't get that people's fear is for themselves but for their loved ones. Very much. I I think it's it, it since Sam's death um 10 months ago my husband Sam's father was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease with ALS. Right. And you know, having written a book about daily gratitude and, you know, the practice of gratitude helping and healing, I suddenly was faced with the love of my life having a disease that is terrifying. And, you know, learning to make, for all of us, learning to make peace with that as well. But one of the things that I've noticed as the coronavirus has moved across the globe is You know, Sam had and has the most incredible group of friends. They just, they are a light in the world. Their love, their love for each other, their love for Sam, their love for us, and and their ways in which they manifest that love every day. And, And I watch them day after day as this disease, as this virus has moved, calling us, coming by, you know, now at a safe distance, but wanting to see what they can do to help and wanting to see what they can do to protect my husband, recognizing that because of the disease that he is at higher risk. And they are grieving as this happens. They are grieving for the loss of Sam in their lives but they are also grieving for the loss of their childhoods in this, their graduations from college, and they are so afraid for the people they love that they may be taken by this virus. And it is global grief. And, you know, anything any of us can do right now to still find the beauty and the joy and the hope in the world and share that that will help combat what is going on. It's I worry for all of us in that that ache in our hearts right now weakening all of us and you know how we bring that strength back. How did you turn grief into gratitude? By absolutely um, the same idea as an exercise program, I had to make a commitment to myself, which I still do now, to every day either write down that for which I'm grateful or speak it out loud. I believe very strongly in the power of either writing it or speaking it and attributing you know, showing what is good in my life, even as I am scared or sad or my heart is aching. And, you know, today part of my gratitude was about um, the fact that my Swiss chard seedlings look really healthy and I can't wait to get them in the ground. 
but that daily practice helps me remember that not everything is darkness and hurt. One must make a commitment to joy. Yes. It doesn't come any other way except by one's absolute commitment to be grateful and to find the joy in existence. Absolutely. It's a daily practice. There's grief. Buddha said there is grief. But suffering suffering is your choice. Mm -hmm. And I, each time, you know, I face the new grief, which, and each one is different. I remind myself that, uh, yes, there is grief, but I can choose how much I want to suffer. Yes. And that, you know, we, again, facing this illness, we have chosen that we could either curl up and give up or we can find joy and light and hope and love every single day. And that's what we choose to do. I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. I wish that we could talk for longer because the wisdom... We have one minute left. I was going to say, but we've come to the last minute. <laughs> yes, but I'm trying to warn you, and I'm so sorry to interrupt you, Susan. One don't minute. Need to, don't need to, to warn me about the minute. I, I, that I'm pretty good at. It's just I get carried away with the questions, and I forget that there's a guest coming. So it's good if you warn me about it at, at the front end of it. But anyhow, <laughs> in the, at, the, at the very end here, what I ask you is, to, um, what is it that you want to leave people thinking about? What is this? want to leave them feeling find something for which you are grateful every day that is what I ask of everyone it's said that there's a woman who is enlightened who lives in Japan and that people come and seek her out to help get help with their problems and that she gives each seeker mantra and that the mantra is the same and it's said that any seeker which who actually does the mantra says the mantra actually gets their wish but that very very few people are willing to say the mantra which is that whatever happens you say thank you very much I'm deeply grateful mm-hmm absolutely How do people find your romance novels? How do people find Grief, Garlic, and Gratitude? All of my books are on Amazon and other online retailers or on my website at www.authorkfrancor.com. And that's F-R-A-N-C-O-E-U-R. Yes. I was saying that I know that C-O-E-U-R is French for heart. Yes, it's honest heart. Oh, the honest heart, like in Frank. <gasps> wow, the honest heart, how beautiful. Thanks Thank for telling you. Me. 
thank you for helping to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients. Thank you for being a storyteller. Thank you for taking the risk to tell your own story, which doesn't necessarily have a happy ever after unless you choose it. That's right. And thank you, Catherine. You are doing a great job. Thanks to everybody who is spreading the word. Herbal medicine. Thank you. Medicine. Thank you, Susan. Good night, everyone. Good, Good night. night. Bye. Bye.